Section 12 of Life of Sir Walter Raleigh by Louise Creighton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 7. Raleigh's First Voyage to Guiana, Part 2. The onward progress of the travelers was soon stopped by the rapid rise of the rivers caused by the first heavy winter rains. They halted at the beginning of a river called Caroli, and three parties went out to explore the country by land. Raleigh, with another party, went to see some wonderful falls formed by the river Caroli. A strange thunder of waters, he calls them. Never saw I a more beautiful country nor more lively prospects. Hills so raised here and there over the valleys, the river winding into diverse branches, the plains all fair green grass, the deer crossing in every path, the birds toward evening singing in every tree with a thousand several tunes, the air fresh with a gentle easterly wind, and every stone that we stooped to take up promised either gold or silver by its complexion. The other companies brought back equally favorable reports, but it seemed high time to return, for the river began to rage and to overflow very fearfully, and the rains came down in terrible showers and gusts in great abundance, and with all our men began to cry out for want of shift, for no man had placed to bestow any other apparel than that which he wore on his back, and that was thoroughly washed on his body for the most part ten times in one day. On his way back Raleigh sent for old Topiawari to have some more talk with him. He came at once, and with him, such a rabble of all sorts of people, and every one laden with somewhat, as if it had been a great market or fair in England, and our hungry companies clustered thick and threefold among their baskets, every one laying hand on what he wanted. Raleigh took Topiawari to his tent, and shut out every one but his interpreter. Then he asked Topiawari's advice as to the means to be employed for conquering Guiana. Topiawari bade him not attempt to invade the strong parts of Guiana without the help of the nations around, who were enemies of the great emperor Inga who ruled in Guiana. Raleigh's force was not strong enough to attempt the conquest now, and besides the winter season was unfavorable, and Topiawari, for these and other reasons, strongly persuaded him to do nothing further at present, but to come again the following year. The old Indian chieftain freely gave Raleigh his only son to take with him to England, hoping that under the protection of the English he would rule his land after his death. Raleigh left two Englishmen behind with Topiawari to learn the language. On his way back Raleigh spent some time in exploring different parts of the river, gaining information from the natives and collecting specimens of ore to take back to England with him he sent off six men under Captain Camus to explore part of the country on foot, and meanwhile went himself some way up a branch of the river called the Piakoa. He returned again to meet Camus, and they set off in haste to get back to their ships, for their hearts were cold to behold the great rage and increase of the Orinoco. The weather was very stormy and the current so strong that they went a hundred miles a day. At the mouth of the river they were overtaken by a mighty storm but it was not safe to anchor there, and so they trusted themselves to God's keeping and thrust out into the sea to cross to Trinidad, being all very sober and melancholy, one faintly cheering another to show courage. They reached the coast of Trinidad in safety and found their ships at anchor, than which there was never to us a more joyful sight. 
Raleigh reached England sometime in August 1595. He came home deeply convinced of the wealth and glory that might be gained in Guiana. The common soldier, he writes, shall here fight for gold. Those commanders and chieftains that shoot at honor and abundance shall find there more rich and beautiful cities, more temples adorned with golden images, more sepulchres filled with treasure than either Cortes found in Mexico or Pizarro in Peru, and the shining glory of this conquest will eclipse all those so far extended beams of the Spanish nation. But his enthusiasm failed to inspire others in England. He was still out of favor at court, he had many enemies, and their jealousy went so far that some said he had never been to Guyana at all, but had remained hidden in Cornwall. Others asserted that the ore which he had brought home had been found not in Guiana but in Barbary and carried thence to Guiana. It was these calumnies which led him to write and publish his account of this voyage to Guiana, which was widely read and passed through two editions in the first year. People were interested, but the nation was not stirred to make any great effort to win this rich prize. The queen was too old to throw herself with enthusiasm into so great a scheme. Raleigh's unpopularity prevented men from gathering round him and aiding him with all their might to carry out his plans. Still, without a doubt, the story of this voyage produced a great effect. The description of these new and beauteous lands stirred men's imaginations in a way which we can best see in the works of England's greatest poet. It is most likely that Raleigh, who we know was on intimate terms with Ben Jonson, knew Shakespeare too, and probably from his own lips Shakespeare heard the story of his voyage. He seems to have been thinking of Raleigh's travels and of the strange tales he had brought home, when he makes Othello say, wherein I spoke of most disastrous chances, of moving accidents by flood and field, and portents in my traveller's history, wherein of antries vast and deserts idle, rough quarries, rocks and hills whose heads touch heaven, it was my hint to speak. Such was my process, and of the cannibals that each other eat, the anthropophagi and men whose heads do grow beneath their shoulders. Raleigh's account of his voyage is full of tales that he had heard of strange races of men, above all of the race who are said to have their eyes in their shoulders and their mouths in the middle of their breasts. But the tempest seems most of all to have been inspired by the tales of adventure which passed from mouth to mouth in those days. In this play Shakespeare shows us in Caliban the savage whose peace was disturbed and whose haunts are invaded by the colonist and the explorer. He felt the pathos of the situation and can awaken our sympathy even with the brutal Caliban when he says, When thou camest first, thou strokest me and madest much of me. Wouldst give me water with berries in't and teach me how to name the bigger light and how the less that burn by day and night, and then I loved thee, and showed thee all the qualities of the isle, the fresh springs, brine pits, barren place, and fertile. Cursed be I that did so. The views of the majority of colonists and explorers are expressed in Prospero's remark to Caliban. But thy vile race, though thou didst learn, had that int which good natures could not abide to be with. 
the savage was far more ready to learn the evil than the good. Caliban exclaims, You taught me language, and my prophet aunt is, I know how to curse. To the savage, the greater knowledge and capacity of the European appeared like magic, and so Shakespeare has represented Prospero as ruling in the island over winds and waves, and subduing Caliban by his arts as a sorcerer. Though Raleigh failed to inspire others with his views about Guiana, he did not on that account lose heart. About six months after his return, he sent off at his own expense Captain Lawrence Camus in a ship to explore the Orinoco further. Camus was as enthusiastic as Raleigh himself about the prospects of exploration in Guiana, and says himself that he meant to devote his life to it. In this voyage, however, he failed to do much. The Spaniards, alarmed at Raleigh's proceedings, had done their utmost to forestall him, and Camus learned from the Indians that a Spanish settlement called St. Tome had been made near Caroly, with a special view of defending the passage to the mines, whence Raleigh had got his specimens of ore. The Indians on all sides entreated Camus to turn out the Spaniards. They welcomed the English warmly, and seemed to have awaited their return with impatience. Camus had repeatedly to assure them that he had come only to trade, and had not brought a force sufficient to do anything against the Spaniards. He explored some new portions of the river, and returned to England in the same year. Raleigh sent out still another expedition before the year was over under Captain Barry, which, however, did nothing important. But we shall see that Raleigh never lost sight of his projects of colonization in Guiana. He was so firmly convinced of the great results that might be gained from it that he was ready to seize every opportunity to carry out the schemes which seemed to have become part of himself. End of section 12